Second Peter, if you have your Bibles, open to Second Peter, and we're going to begin in chapter number one. Uh, we walked through First Peter, and uh, we've been out for a couple of weeks, and so we're jumping back into Second Peter uh, to walk through this book. Second Peter chapter number one, verses one through four today, and talking about the foundations of our faith, foundations of our faith. And uh, so this morning, as told in the story of the Trojan War, uh, the Greeks looked at the city of Troy, and the city of Troy seemed as though it were impregnable. There's no way we can defeat the city of Troy. And so we are familiar with the story of the Trojan horse, and they built the Trojan horse in such a way to deceive the people uh, as a gift, and it was filled with soldiers, and they came into the city of Troy, and as the story is told, at night, uh, they came out and opened a gates and they flooded the city and won the battle. And uh, I think about that and how the enemy came within the gates to destroy the city. I believe that the devil uh, uh, seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Uh, That's how John describes him in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And uh, and he has assaulted the church body uh, from without, but he also comes from within. In fact, when Peter was writing these letters. We're in 2 Peter, uh, uh, the second book that he's written, a second little letter that he has written. And uh, the first letter that he wrote addressed the persecution from without. It addressed uh, uh, what they were going to deal with as believers that, listen, uh, the world's not going to embrace you. And in fact, he's writing to a group of people that are struggling big time uh, with persecution, indescribable acts of persecution on the church. And he wants to encourage them. And so he writes the first letter dealing with persecution from the outside. And now he's writing a second letter and he's writing this letter to deal with the over, overarching theme of the entire letter has to do with the assault that comes from the inside. Uh, uh, the inside assault, the inside job that the devil <clears throat> does in the life of the church. And how would he do that? He does that through uh, demonic doctrines. In fact, the Bible says this about the devil describes him in this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. In other words, he's just simply saying, hey, listen, if you're not careful, if you're not careful as a body, uh, the devil will send his agents into the body and will hijack the ministry. And he, and he does that using people who are massive masterful orators. You're talking about people with incredible gifts to be able to flatter people with how slick they can be in their presentation. The problem is uh, their, their doctrine is really bad messed up. And, uh, and, so, and so in fact Galatians says it this way when you're talking about doctrine because a lot of people today uh, embrace this idea that really doctrine is not that big of a deal when the fact of the matter is it's, it's, it's an incredibly huge deal, doctrine 
uh, uh, for a person uh, because the Bible says in Galatians chapter one and verse number eight, in fact, he repeats it, eight and verse number nine, but in Galatians chapter one, verse number eight, Paul was dealing with the church of Galatia who, who were adding to and taking away from the gospel of Jesus Christ had those who were coming into their ranks and so he writes and he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, which is, by the way, the strongest wording used in the entire New Testament. He says anybody that comes and adds to or takes away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him be literally uh, damned to hell. He says, hey, that's serious business when you're adding to and taking away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So doctrine does matter. Don't be doctrinally indifferent. In fact, uh, one of the reasons why we are where we are today is because the church has slipped doctrinally. It is a big deal. Uh, there's a lot of doctrinal indifference. In other words, there's, there's the belief system that would say it like this. What does doctrinal indifference look like? What does doctrinal indifference look like, practically speaking? I would say here's what it looks like, practically speaking, in a state statement, in a statement. Well, I kind of believe that as long as a person has faith, all religions kind of lead to the same place, just use different wording. You know what that is? That's doctrinal indifference. Uh, that's crazy talk. Uh, uh, God help us understand that, man, there is a gospel and it is written and be careful. Uh, in fact, what we have as a result of doctrinal indifference is what we would call religious pluralism. Religious pluralism simply means, hey, all face, again, all roads lead to heaven. Therefore, we have these ecumenical movements that swept across our nation where we're gathering together with people that aren't even true believers in Jesus Christ, don't believe the same gospel. What are the differences? For example, we get together and we have massive prayer meetings and we say, man, we're gonna gather together, we're gonna gather together the Christians and we're gonna gather together the Catholics and we're gonna gather together the Mormons and we're gonna gather together with the Jews and we're gonna gather together with the Muslims and we're just gonna have a big prayer meeting. The problem is we're calling on different gods. And Christianity, by the way, Christianity, I think one of the greatest confusions that we have is with Christianity and Catholicism because a lot of people feel like, man, we're just one and the same. To which I would say, say that to Martin Luther. I mean, Martin Luther was the one who said, no, there's something seriously wrong with this religion. In fact, when you're creating, when you're creating a religious system to please the heart of God, rather than understand that, man, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, alone. My salvation is by grace through faith alone. It's not a religious system who literally had his life taken, burned at the stake. And today we say, well, we're not one and the same. We're not one and the same. We're not one and the same. And, 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 and this morning, I just want to encourage you again, because I know that we all have friends, and, and, and anytime we go and, and, and talk about these things, hey, we're, we're talking about demonic doctrines. We're not talking about people. Okay, let's love people enough to share the truth, to show the truth to people. God, help us to live the truth and help us to show the truth along the way. The Bible is abundantly clear. We are saved by grace through faith. In fact, there's only one way to be saved. John chapter 14 and verse number six, the Bible's clear. I am, Jesus said, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to be saved, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question would be, well, if, if the angel 
is if, if, if the devil can be an angel of light and he can deceive us, well, what can we do to keep from being deceived? What can we do to guard the ranks? How do we do that, practically speaking? That's a great question to ask, and that's what Peter's addressing as he writes. Here's what we do. Uh, to keep from being deceived, to keep from being led astray, to keep from being uh, uh, finding ourselves in a place where we're doctrinally really messed up big time, what do we do? We don't go and study the doctrines of demons. We don't go on Sunday nights and say, let's study all of them and try to figure them all out. No, you just know the truth. You just gotta study the, the word of God. Just know the truth. And anytime something encroaches on what we know to be true, I can say, no, I know that that's an error. That's how you know, that's how you know. So you know the truth. And so what Peter does with this letter as he writes it, here's what he does, here's an overview of where we're gonna go. He begins by saying, hey listen, we're gonna begin with the foundations of your faith. Just know, just make sure you know what you believe because there's gonna be, there will be people that come into your life, there will be people that are challenging you and checking you along the way with what they believe to be true. And you gotta know what you believe. And so he believes, or so he writes, by just saying, hey, our faith is incredibly precious, but make sure that you know what you believe. And so that's where he begins this whole letter, beginning in verse number one of 2 Peter, just saying, hey, here are foundations of your faith. Here's the foundations of the Christian faith. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And so this morning, just talking again about the foundations of our faith, he begins with just a, an introduction there in the first part of verse number one. And uh, it's interesting because when he talks about his introduction, when he in introduces himself, the writer of the letter, uh, he uses two words, he uses two phrases that really characterize what, what leadership ought to look like. He says, first of all, uh, uh, I'm a doulos, I, I, I'm a servant, uh, I'm a bond servant of God Almighty. And so he's simply saying, hey, when you're talking about a bond servant, a bond servant is equivalent to basically animals. He has no rights. I've been purchased. I'm not here to do a work of my own, but rather the one who owns me. I'm a doulos of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, a bond servant. And so it needs to be marked with humility. One needs to be marked with humility, unquestionable, unquestionable obedience to God Almighty at the disposal of him and him alone. He says, I'm a bond servant, but yet I'm also an apostle, an apostle. I'm one who has been sent. Therefore, with my apostleship, I have, I have been endowed with a position of leadership. And so there's a combination 
that he presents himself as having. I'm a sacrificial servant with divine allegiance to the one who called me to do the work he has called me to do. And so I want to be faithful to that. And so uh, it, it's basically he's describing servant leadership. Servant leadership is what you ought to have in leadership at any level, whether it be in the church or anywhere else. Servant leadership is the best kind of leadership. You want a, a leader who says, hey, there's nothing too low, too demeaning for me. In other words, man, if whatever it takes, I'm willing to do. A servant leader, that's what Peter was, that's who he is, and so he's just simply introducing himself to the people, and then he, and then he gives these characteristics of the foundations of the faith, and he begins in verse number one, the second half, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, and he goes on in verse number two to continue the thought, but talking number one about the saving power of our faith, the saving power of our faith. In other words, he says, hey, he's identifying the recipients of, of the letter, and, and, and those recipients of the letter are primarily Gentiles. That's why he writes the way that he writes. He says, you received, you received a faith much like ours. He's talking to the Gentiles, and it's basically a statement saying, hey, in the kingdom of heaven, there's no such thing as a second-class citizen. In the kingdom of heaven, we all come the same way to the presence of God Almighty, and it's through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so he's just establishing the fact that, listen, no matter who you are, there's only one way to be saved, whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile. Uh, and, and in fact, we live in, a, we're, we live in a day where we really have a difficult time understanding what saving grace is all about. Grace. I'm saved by grace, not by my works. The first step in our salvation is to acknowledge that I am a sinner, I'm a sinner and I can't do anything about it. I can't correct it. That's the first step in the process. And yet, and yet you have some people that don't understand that the same grace, the same grace, the same grace that one day I pray to God, little Carter, will receive into his heart through faith in Jesus Christ. And it might be when he's six, seven, eight years old, and so he hasn't lived a whole lifetime of hell, but he understands that I am a sinner by nature, and I need a savior. The same grace to save him is the same grace it takes to save a pedophile, a murderer, an adulterer, and you name it. I mean, there's some Christians that say, well, if that man goes to heaven, Ted Bundy goes to heaven, I don't wanna be there. Seriously? The same grace that saved my soul is what was needed to save his. Peter's just saying, hey, listen, understand this. Your faith, your grace, whatever it takes for the Gentiles is the same for the Jew. There's no second-class citizens. They dealt with that through the book of Acts, but he's just simply saying, hey, we are saved the same way. And how is it that we are saved? Uh, to those who have received a faith of the same kind by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, it was received. It wasn't, it was, it was received. <laughs> it was a gift. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Ephesians chapter number two, verses number eight and nine says, here's how you were saved. Remember how you were saved. Don't forget it. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. God, by his grace, sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross. 
not because I was deserving, not because you were deserving, but just simply because he loved you and desires relationship with you. And the Bible says that all have sinned in Romans chapter three and verse number 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the problem with mankind. All of us, we've fallen short. It's not, it's not just our actions, it's by nature. The reason why we do what we do is because we are what we are. We're sinners and we were born in sin and we desperately need a savior. And the Bible says in Romans chapter number five, in Romans chapter five and in verse number eight, Romans five verses eight and nine, the Bible says, <clears throat> but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, hey, he didn't wait till you cleaned yourself up because the fact of the matter is you cannot clean yourself up. You cannot clean yourself up. There are people that say, man, you just don't know where I am. You just don't know what I've done. I've done so much, I don't know that he would save me. The fact of the matter is that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die. He didn't die for the righteous. He died for the guilty. In fact, he goes on to say much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. My salvation, when you're talking about salvation, salvation is not a reward for the righteous, but it's simply a gift to be received by the guilty. And so there has to be a beginning point where we acknowledge I am guilty, I have fallen short, and my sin separates me from God. But I believe Jesus Christ, he came, he lived, and he laid down his life, paying the price for my sin completely and in full so that I might be saved. He conquered death in the grave, he's alive today. We have a living relationship with the risen Savior, and I'm grateful to God for that. I'm not justified by my works, but rather it's the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. Uh, 2 Corinthians, the Bible says it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse number 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It wasn't because of my righteous works, but rather because of what he has done. Do you know, so, so Peter's writing and he's saying, hey, you need to understand your beginnings. You need to understand and remember, don't forget, don't let anyone lead you astray. And not only having somebody else lead me astray, be careful that I don't lead myself astray. I mean, I have that fleshly side of me. I have that prideful side that rather than receiving the gift, I wanna be able to take care of it myself. And that's our pride. In fact, he says, yeah, you were saved by grace, but you're kept by grace. And we're gonna get there in just a minute. But understanding, again, my righteousness is not because of what I have done or haven't done. That's not the basis of my righteousness. The, the, the Bible says there's this, uh, uh, there's this imputed righteousness that happens to me. In other words, here's the deal. I'm, in, I'm over here and I'm before God Almighty, a sinner in my own self, in my own self. And Jesus Christ is completely righteous and he has the robe of righteousness and I've got dinginess all over me. And Jesus Christ looks and he says, man, I want you to be able to stand before the Father, spotless and blameless. And so he takes all of this dinginess off of me and he puts it on himself. And then he takes his perfectly clean and pure robe of righteousness and imputes it to me. And I can stand now before my Father, not because of anything I have done, but because of what he has done. And Peter's saying, that's the basis of your salvation. It's not your works. 
And if you're not careful, you will have people that come along. He knew that people are gonna come along. There's gonna be doctrines of demons that will come in and start trying to teach you other things contrary to that you're saved by grace through faith. I don't, have to, I, don't, I don't have to be baptized to be saved. I don't have to go to a special church to be saved. I don't have to partake of the Lord's Supper in a special church in a special way to be saved. None of those things save me. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so Peter's saying, make sure that you don't fall prey. But here's the deal. I don't have to go to one of those to believe it. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll even, you ever been here before? Let's just be real. As a Christian, you ever messed up big time? I'm talking about, you know, I know I'm saved, but I'm ashamed because I messed up again. And you ever bought into the, let me see if I can't get right. (laughs) I need to get back to church. Well, that's all fine and good, but getting back to church doesn't get you right. Repentance. Repentance and receiving his gracious gift of forgiveness, of restoration. That's, that's, that's Christianity 101. Peter's saying, understand the basis of your salvation. And he says, he goes on and he, and he writes and he says, verse number one and following, by the righteousness, his righteousness of God, of, of of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Interesting because the Greek construction in that verse right there does not separate the Father from the Son. In other words, if you're reading it in the Greek, it's simply saying this, they're one and the same. And so what it is, it's a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey listen, Jesus Christ is God, God. So those who say, man, Mormonism's not a big deal. Oh yeah, it is, it's a cult. It's a cult. Jesus Christ is God. But he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What's he say? He's simply saying this. Hey, listen, we are saved by grace. And when we are saved by grace, we finally have peace with God. And unless we have peace with God, we will never have the peace of God. But when we have started this walk of faith with Jesus Christ, and I'm saved by grace, and and, and the extent of my relationship with him is simply understanding and recognizing I am a sinner and he is my savior and I want him to be my Lord and savior and it begins this process relationship. And he says, man, I want the grace and the peace to be multiplied in your life. In other words, I'm saved by grace, but I'm not just saved by grace. It doesn't stop there. By his grace, I can love my enemies and pray for them. By his grace, I can forgive. By his grace, I can experience joy and peace in my life no matter what comes my way. By his grace, multiply to me and it's by his grace that I also can experience his peace and so today you may be here this morning and say man I just don't have peace my question is simply have you ever experienced saving grace grace always precedes peace forgiveness have you tasted his forgiveness and so this morning if you've never 
called on his name, I would invite you to call on his name. The saving power of our faith. He talks about it, verses one and two, but not just the saving power of our faith, but he talks about the sufficient power of our faith in verse number three, continuing on, just talking about our faith. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And so he's just talking about the sufficiency. When I was born again, when I was born again, I received everything necessary for my faith walk. I mean, I mean I'm not lacking. I don't have to look for another experience. I don't have to look for and long for something else to happen to further equip me. When I got saved, I got all of the Holy Spirit of God that I'm ever gonna need. First Corinthians says, says it this way. First Corinthians chapter number 12 and in verse number 13. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized. All of us, nobody was still left out longing, uh, but all of us were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink <clears throat> of one spirit. And so just talking about what we received when we were born again. When we were born again, the Holy Spirit of God came and took up residence in my heart and he changes us from the inside out. He begins this process of changing us because now we have this new nature. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, he's a new nature. He has this new nature side to him and that new nature is gonna manifest itself in my life as a believer. And so now I'm growing in him and so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be changed from the inside and it's gonna manifest itself on the outside such that others will see fruit in my life. I'm not saved because of my fruit but because I'm saved I will bear fruit. That's how it works, that's how it works. And so listen, listen, if there's no fruit, if I'm not changed, there's something wrong. Sometimes you meet people along the way and sometimes you'll meet some cantankerous old crotchety old man or something like that. In the church, in the church. Man, I was saved 60 years ago. Been walking with Jesus. But there's no love and there's no peace and there's no patience and there's no joy and there's no excitement about growth. There's no excitement about reaching people with the gospel. But I was saved God, help me. Help us. Were you saved? Have you been born again? You know why? Because when you got born again, the Holy Spirit of God, some people will just write it off and say, that's just the way I am. You ever heard somebody say, that's just the way I am. Maybe that's the way you were, but that's not what God wants. God, help me. And again, I'm not saved because of my actions, but because I am saved, my actions will follow naturally. And if I'm not under great conviction and discipline by God, then there's something wrong, something lacking in my life. But Peter's saying, hey, listen, when you got saved, you got everything you need. Be careful that you're not adding to your salvation. Be careful you're not looking and longing for some other blessing in your life. 
In other words, there's folks that look for another blessing. There's something missing. There's something wrong. And so, and so there, there, there are denominations, in fact, that are built around signs. And, and man, you, you gotta be baptized. You gotta be slain in the spirit. When I don't need to look for anything else. When I got saved, I got all I need. That's what Peter's saying in these verses of scripture. And I'm grateful to God for that. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number eight. 2 Corinthians chapter number nine and in verse number eight, the Bible says, says it like this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. In other words, I have been supplied by God Almighty and he is omnipotent. I have everything I need in my salvation, in my savior. And so he says, just remember when people come say you need something more, No, I don't. No, I don't. When I got saved, I got everything I need. Verse four, he goes on to talk about the sustaining promises of our faith, the sustaining promises of our faith, and I'm grateful to God for those. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In other words, he's simply saying this, In this world, you're gonna go through difficult days along the way. He's already written a whole letter pertaining to that. You're gonna go through difficult days along the way. You're gonna have struggles along the way. And when you look at the life of Peter, you would say, man, here was a guy that had struggles. He understands struggles. We do have struggles along the way. And sometimes along the way, I just don't, there's, there's this new Waymaker song. talks about, you know, sometimes I don't feel the Spirit of God. Sometimes I don't see the Spirit of God. But I know, but I know. How do you know? Because there's promises And I'm so thankful to God for his promises because, man, I'm telling you, there's times when I just have promises and that's all I've got. It's it's, it's not just feeling my faith. By the way, my faith is not about my feelings. And aren't you thankful that your faith is not about your feelings because there are some times when I don't feel saved. Sometimes I make a statement like that and I feel like I'm the only one. (laughs) And maybe I am. But God help us. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. The Bible says it like this. Second Corinthians four, and in verse number 16, the Bible says, <clears throat> therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. There's a corruption set into the natural self. And man, this world will wear you out. But aren't you thankful for his promises? And aren't you thankful that on the inside he continues to sustain me? So he's writing and he's saying, hey, listen, we have some special promises and here's where we have to be careful. God's promises are written for his people. God's promises are written for his people. Not religious people. See, a lot of times people say, well, I'm just not experiencing the promises of God. Well, are you one of his people? Are you one of his people? Because in his word, he gives us so many different promises and I'm so thankful for the promises that we have in his word. He promises us his presence. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. No matter where I go, he is with me. Aren't you thankful for that promise? He's with me. He's never gonna uh, let me go. Uh, For his provision, Jesus Christ himself was talking and he said, hey, look at the birds of the air. Dime a dozen out there. Don't you think you're more important than they? I will provide for your needs. I am your provider, Jehovah Jireh. 
Ira, our provider. I'm grateful to God for his provision in my life. And we can all testify to these promises. Aren't you thankful for a God that makes promises to us? He promises us his power. He says, hey, hey, my grace is sufficient for my power is perfected in your weaknesses. In other words, there's sometimes when, when, when I'm weak and I need him desperately. In fact, I need him every day. I need him every day. But he says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in your weakness. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on thee. It's a promise from God. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And and, and then God's gonna, you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna grant to you peace of heart, peace of mind. He He says, I promise you, here's a promise you can bank on it. Uh, and so no matter what comes my way, I can be in the midst of some difficult storms. I can be in the midst of a sea that's raging all around me and still know the peace of God that passes all understanding because he's promised that to me. He's promised me a peace. He's promised me protection. He's our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. He is my protector. He's promised me so many things. You know what, what, you know what else he's promised me? He's, he made this promise in scripture. Uh, and if I go and prepare a place for you in John chapter 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, hey, I will come again. And I'm gonna take you home with me promises of God. Aren't you thankful to be a people of God that knows that God has given us his word and we can bank on it? It's, and our faith. He says, how precious is our faith? And Peter's just saying, do you know about your faith? <clears throat> and our faith is in Jesus Christ, a risen savior, a living hope. There was an old hymn that was written and the, chor- and, and, and the chorus was right out of scripture. It says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him till that day. Our faith in Jesus Christ. Can I ask a question? Have you ever been born again? That's where it begins. Simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Recognizing I am a sinner. Jesus Christ took my place substitutionary atonement. He took my place on the cross and paid the price that I owed. That's what he did for me and that's what he did for you and it was accepted and received by the Father. Three days later, he raised from the dead. He's alive and desires a living, loving relationship with you. That's where it begins. Have you been saved? It's not about being religious, working. It's about receiving what's already been done. The work's been done. Have you received it? And today, if you haven't, I'm inviting you to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Number two, be careful because others are gonna come along and sometimes you may even struggle with, I've gotta do something to get right when the fact of the matter is, work's been done, receive it, receive it. Rest in the grace that he's extended to you this morning. Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer this morning? We're gonna pray. After we pray, we're gonna sing a song. And after we sing, I'll be down front. Maybe you hear this morning and you would say, you know what? I need to be saved. It's not just about coming to church. It's about a living, loving relationship with God Almighty. How precious is our faith. Oh God, this morning, I thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each one that's here, whether they be here in the building or whether they be listening online, Father. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just open our eyes, help us understand. 
And God, just renew our appreciation, our gratefulness for your grace. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you'd have your way in and through us. God, continuing to pray as we close this time, continuing to pray for our middle schoolers, Lord Jesus, I know they're gathering even now. Father, give them ears to hear. Oh God, I pray for broken and contrite hearts over sin that would lead to repentance. Oh God, thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.